0: Hi, this is Isaac Arthur, welcome to the show and don't forget to check out this month's Nebula-exclusive, Giant Space Monsters. To get access and help support the show while hearing every episode early and ad-free, plus hours of bonus content, check out go.nebula.tv slash IsaacArthur and use my code, IsaacArthur. For as long as we've had history, and likely before, people have contemplated a life after this one, but might we one day create artificial afterlives, and if so, will we create heavens or hells? So in our recent episodes, Omega Point Cosmology, Hacking the Simulation, and Higher Dimensional Aliens, we dallied with some concepts like reanimating the ancient dead, us being in a simulation, and possibly as preparation or reward, and how simulation rules might be different in a higher dimension plane of existence, or reality layer. So I wondered if we might try an episode on artificial afterlives, and it did well on an episode poll of our audience, so I figured we would give it a try. Before we begin, let me say not what this episode is, but rather what it is not. First, it is not about trying to prove, disprove, or replace any actual afterlife, or praise or ridicule any specific version of those we are discussing ones we might make in the future, though we will also contemplate scenarios like someone having already made one in the past that applies to us. Second, a lot of our focus today is not as much on how to make these things, but more it is about how we would employ them and what the effect on civilization would be. Third, the episode is not strictly talking about digital worlds and virtual realities, and while that will be a major focus and tool for explaining concepts, we are interested in a lot more options than that one, including flat-out sculpting sub-universes or demiplanes with different rules. I wanted those disclaimers up front to clarify this isn't just an episode on the ways you could make very nice virtual realities, and such a virtual reality under known physics would not seem a viable replacement for a true, eternal afterlife anyway, as your computer is presumably going to eventually run out of power, not to mention memory. Or maybe not. Again, we will be contemplating a lot of scenarios today, and us getting our hands on an infinite power supply or a practical cheat for that should be discussed. So, too, should be the question of if an eternal, as in truly infinite, afterlife would be meaningful for a human anyway, requiring effectively infinite memory or data storage. After all, over an infinite timeline, similar events happen a lot, and eventually, even perfectly identical events will repeat one can make an argument that only access to infinite power, resources, and intellect, along with the ability to do the impossible or paradoxical, in other words, God with a capital G, can make a perfect and eternal afterlife. And this brings us to a good starting point, because we need to start by asking what qualifies as an afterlife, and what qualifies as a successful one. The latter is arguably impossible to answer, since it's rather subjective. If someone is building afterlives to throw vicious murder into, then a success might be crafting something that's a decent simulacrum of Dante's Inferno, and we probably don't care if it's a bit buggy and can only run for trillions of years, not eternity. So too, when it comes to more pleasant afterlives, the key word there is after, and so someone's private paradise they dwelt in on weekends or to spend the odd decade-long sabbatical before returning to civilization presumably does not count, However, the general concept of afterlives would seem to need to include options like reincarnation and possible limbo-like hoarding pens between recurring lives. Let's imagine we froze someone for whatever reason, awaiting medical advances or journeying to a distant solar system or just wanting to leapfrog into future centuries. And while they were frozen, they ran their mind in a slow dream state. Maybe their brain gets backed up, And if they're in an accident, it's activated while a new body is grown or constructed. This wouldn't seem like an afterlife in the classic Western perspective since we plan to restore them, but it would be in some other traditions which anticipate people being reincarnated or otherwise spinning around on the wheel of time. We might call something like this a waiting room, but it obviously has a lot in common with an afterlife, and there are also non-cyclic versions in which one is basically climbing a ladder, one rung, each life, with an eventual instate. We have contemplated that for simulated realities and ancestor simulations before too, that these simulations might be where advanced civilizations raise their kids. They use some remembered earlier form of their civilization where there's basically still hardships and where virtual reality is discussed but isn't really there yet, like nowadays. In this way folks don't spend their whole time wondering if they're in a simulation, But also can still plausibly experience hardship, where a more advanced civilization might lack even paper cuts. So you raise them in the ancestor simulation and hatch them into the advanced civilization, once their ethics and worldview are established. Nursery universes, so to speak, are plausible enough I think, but not in afterlife obviously, quite the reverse, but many of the concepts might apply, especially the notion of many stacked layers of reality, Where you ascend or descend based on the trials of time and experience. An awful lot of these scenarios we're going to be contemplating today also sound good at first glance but have some holes in them as we dip deeper. At the same time, apparent holes or flaws in a system does not necessarily invalidate the idea, as it might get used anyway because people like enough to tolerate its problems or have found patches to them. Let's consider a hypothetical example. Let's say we have a deep space habitat, one built on some rock or ice ball that represents a significant but finite fuel supply. We'll call it Habitat Sandman 1967. The colonists here know that every other rock nearby is claimed and every star within a thousand light years is too. They have a Habitat Cylinder decently larger than the typical neo Cylinder and able to comfortably support a million humans with plenty of space for gardens and forests and critters. They have an impressive amount of life extension technology as well as mind augmentation. They decide the best thing for their civilization is to take a page out of Logan's Run, where they gas or vaporize everyone before they get old, in the novel and book, age 21 and 30, respectively. But the twist on Sandman is that you have brain chips in you, recording your every thought for mind upload and backup. And when your time comes, at age 100, you have a big birthday party, and at midnight, you shut down. They do one more really in-depth and destructive scan of your brain and flip you on as a digital person in a virtual and somewhat dreamlike utopia. It's meant to be dreamlike so you can run at a slow speed, years passing outside for a day in the afterdream, and not to be disoriented by it or fret about wondering whether it's all fake. Exports can be spun up from the dream into a more normal virtual space, or into an Android to help with something, though normally this is for short term trauma counseling. If some loved one can't handle them being gone yet, or for a quick set of answers on something that represents legacy or institutional knowledge, like they were a writer and turned their book series over to a pupil, and they want to check if some major change or addition was okay. They plan to eventually spin everyone back up for an entirely virtual existence one day, or reincorporate it into biological bodies or whatever, once better technology gives them better options. In the meantime, everyone's in a slow dream state because they feel that helps with continuity of identity, and they also don't feel someone born today should get to enjoy a vastly bigger share of that finite energy supply than someone born in year 999,990 of their million-year plan. So everybody runs on low till then, after which things get dialed up. Everybody gets a full century of very healthy living in a body that can still run marathons and pass for forty. Then they digitize and cross their virtual fingers that superior technology will be invented. They believe they have the ability to maintain the living population at a million normal people for a million years on current supplies and current tech, plus a ton of virtual people running at low speed, as low as is needed to stretch that energy budget out. They calculate they need the hard drive capacity for 10 billion stored mines, and believe they can keep that in good shape with redundancy and powered on low for that four million years with extra to spare. That's their margin, and they expect to benefit from the development of more technology elsewhere, but they decided as a colony that they would gamble on a vastly superior option being available, and that if it existed it would be discovered inside a million years. If not, they plan to pack it up, run the computers on high speed so every one of the ten billion folks could enjoy some more time, a subjective couple thousand years, And when their fuel runs out, find out if there is a real afterlife. I picked this case mostly for the purpose of a thought experiment, so let's walk through the issues. First, it's a big gamble to assume your station is going to stay static for a million years without anyone trying to smash up the old folks on ice to steal their energy, but a reasonably plausible one. The million-year option is obviously pretty arbitrary, but anything would be, And I think it's perfectly plausible for some community living in a period after everything has been colonized, and where technology just isn't advancing much anymore, to decide to play a long game like that. They are presumably able to abort and even call a giant group assembly of everyone living and dead for a vote if something pops up that alters the equation, otherwise if something big doesn't emerge in a million years, it wouldn't seem like they'd feel a few million more would matter, or even a billion we might see something similar with black hole-based civilizations in a post-stellar era, like we looked at in our Civilizations at the End of Time series. In those, we suggest that if nobody had figured out how to build a perpetual motion machine or reverse entropy in a quintillion years, folks might settle for waiting until the black hole powering their civilization was nearly drained of energy and jumping into it to see if there was a universe beyond down there. From a religious or spiritual perspective, this case on Sandman is the same as normal life extension or mind uploading scenarios. If there is a normal, eternal afterlife of the sort where you expect to meet Saint Peter at the front gate, these really are not a problem. If you extend your life for a thousand years by medicine and cybernetics, it's not really any different than any other medicine. As we say in our discussions of life extension tech, fundamentally all medicine is life extension technology and fundamentally, one century or two or ten trillion, they are all still next to nothing compared to an actual eternity. Uploading your mind can be a bit tricky where souls are concerned, if you've got one, but presumably if I freeze you and you die, or I upload you and you die, either your soul goes along for the trip into your new state in this universe, repaired corpuscle, clone, android, or digital existence, or it does not, and you take the stairway to heaven or the bullet train to hell. Since someone can presumably have this done to them against their will, we cannot simply assume anyone revived this way is automatically getting tossed in the inferno. Also, I tend to assume if your soul exists and does not make the trip to your new form, then it's probably going to be readily apparent in some fashion, like you acting a total lunatic or psycho, a la Linda Blair from The Exorcist. If not, then we had to assume your soul wasn't specifically pertinent to your behavior and was more like your higher-dimensional recording or backup. Were that the case, it presumably operates no differently than if we have a person back up their mind, have that activated because folks thought they were dead, and then it turns out they were alive and there's basically two of them now. We discussed more of those sorts of identity confusion and hijinks in our episode Me, Myself, and I. So, there's no obvious philosophical, theological, or ethical issue with Sandman 1967's plan that I can think of. Obviously, your mileage may vary, and there are probably all things I'm overlooking since I just want a decent example for the episode. You get a century of very healthy life, get to skip a lot of the normal problems of longevity in societies of upward mobility and dodging Malthusian catastrophes. Assuming physical death doesn't jettison your soul right to another plane of existence, you then get a lot of pleasant dreams. This is occasionally interrupted with an update and a request for a vote, or to speak to some relative or student who needs a quick moment. When that's all over, if nothing better has been found to allow everyone to return to a fleshly life or to extend their existence longer in some other fashion, then everybody dials up to explore and enjoy a variety of personal paradises till the power runs out, after which you can find out the traditional way if there's a life hereafter. To me that sounds like a pretty good deal, obviously the specifics could be made better or worse. A lot depends on how they operate on occasions where someone reaches 100 and says, heck no, I do not want my brain uploaded, nor do I want to be killed. This raises some fair questions. Is Sandman 1967 morally obliged to give that person a shuttle and let them leave? If they leave, can they still flip on the copies they've been making of that person the whole time? Can they just shrug, hit the button, and ascend that person to the digital life and see if they're still complaining afterward? There also might not be any place for them to go, again this situation is set in a pre-Malthusian circumstance where folks have basically gathered all the resources up and are now slowly draining a finite local stockpile, with no reason to expect distant interstellar colonies would decide to send them any anymore. We can also imagine this scenario playing out on actual planets, As we note in other episodes, your real limitation on population on planets is getting rid of heat, and it's such that if you're doing your planet all in skyscrapers over every inch of it, people are going to have huge regions of empty space where it's warm and fairly dark. We only need a tiny fraction of the kind of lighting it takes to provide sunlight levels or grow food in order to comfortably see. Your LED light bulb lighting your bedroom in the evening is probably a few watts, the sun at noon is a thousand watts a square meter. So a Euclidopolis or planet wide city like Earth might one day become, might be building layer after layer of vast structures made out of absurdly strong and self repairing materials. Folks in a given apartment or layer might slowly migrate upward to newer ones or remain behind in sealed quarters, completely taken care of by robots and awake or living in VR or in stasis, and just have themselves built over top of endless layers of cryo crypts and virtual tombs. So too, current law holds that you are dead when you're frozen in cryo, and I could easily see the precedent for getting that removed being to stimulate brain activity in a frozen brain or emulate it just enough to say hi to prove that person was still around, then keeping them running on low power so nobody can claim they weren't currently alive and take their property or bank accounts. One can imagine that being a legal nightmare waiting to happen in many different ways. If you thought ancient Egypt was obsessed with taking everything with them to the hereafter, imagine a civilization a million years after cryo had been perfected but actual biological immortality has not been, and 99% of the population is in and out of stasis or waiting for better technology, and also owning 99.99% of everything, and hoping the folks still awake will keep them running while providing an eventual solution. Given that the most obvious solution that would come to mind for those still awake might be to start unplugging folks, one could imagine a lot of those cryo or stasis vaults having some serious firepower on robot guardians to make sure nobody was trying to pull the plug or expedite their inheritance. And many of these issues would be the same for scenarios where we aren't talking about virtual reality, uploaded existence, or digital options. It's just the easiest and most familiar to discuss the philosophy and problems of these situations. We will get to some non-digital options shortly, but let's look at one more real quick, and that's the idea that we're actually in some simulation currently. Now that actually might be of our own choosing. As I've mentioned before, whoever makes a lifelike and convincing virtual realities will be a very rich person, but the real game-changing tech Is inventing a technique so that people maintain their core identity in such a world but with their prior memories temporarily shut off, or on but they still don't notice they're in a fake place or just don't care, like in a dream. Either way, if we're running in such a simulation, we cannot assume the same rules and limits apply in that higher universe simulating us as physics tells us we operate under. They might not have entropy and a perpetual motion machine might be something kids build in daycare if not though, they eventually run out of power. Yes, they can easily provide an afterlife to those in this simulation dying, probably a paradise and one in which any trauma of this life could be mitigated, shut off, or fixed, so that your suffering here really didn't impact your happiness and quality of existence there. And other people suffering you see might not be a real person, just an NPC or chat GPT character, but they still have to deal with finite limits, even the big crunch trick we discussed in Omega Point, or Dyson's Eternal Intelligence option we discussed in Black Hole Farming, don't really handle Infinity well, though at least allow a decent flotation with it. They run out of juice while at the same time they have an ever-rising number of immigrants needing it. This raises real issues, though we'll contemplate them a bit satirically. Essentially, how many people need to walk into the poorly gates and join the City of God, before the walls need widening and the main boulevard expanded to include another lane. How many mead halls and tables are in Valhalla or the Fields of Elysium? Now again, if we are talking about the Classic God with a capital G and infinite capacities, this does not actually matter, but a lot of mythological gods of the past were not infinite in scope, and the episode is Artificial Afterlives, kind of implying we're talking about the creation of folks who, however impressive, or not, capital G impressive, which raises the question of whether or not an infinite afterlife is needed. Back to the Sandman 1967 habitat example, they were going for a finite duration. But after how much experience is a person no longer experiencing anything new, even knowing that your brain has finite space in it, and even the card catalog for an infinite library is too big to fit in your head? There is truly a finite number of actual experiences you could have. There are a finite number of books that can be written that are a thousand pages or less long, but simply rearranging two of those words, or having an identical book, with one character's name changed from John to Joe, is not a new experience. It doesn't matter how unique each snowflake is, my experience jamming a handful of them into a snowball to throw is not new or better for having one of those snowflakes changed into a different one. What's more, if I am an ever changing brain or mind, with little changes in any given moment, I will eventually have my brain pass through every possible state it could be with every possible set of memories it could have, even if those included false memories and delusions. An infinite and changing existence for a finite being is one that eventually shifts you through every person who ever existed and every set of lives they could have enjoyed, or suffered. You will also be the most virtuous and most vile of people over time. Such an entity is indistinguishable from any other as well, as they ultimately were every person an infinite number of times, so presumably only one identity is needed and it will encompass everyone that ever was or could be. This also checks your resurrection box, which is how that works in Omega Point Cosmology, again, see that episode for details. With all that in mind though, for many people an actual eternity is of no greater value than a very long but finite time, At a certain point, we must expand you, beyond the strictly human, for your mind to be able to attain these new experiences, not to mention keep enjoying them, since this is supposed to be a pleasant afterlife. Otherwise, we're really just talking about dumping old memories for new ones and there gets to be a point where that really strains credibility on the argument that there's continuity of identity, at least to me. Identity and consciousness and continuity are very murky and debated topics and have been for centuries now. Cloning computers didn't really add anything to the debate, beyond a modern flavor and convenient framing device for the discussion. So let's shift the discussion off of computers, virtual reality, and mind uploading options. First, we can't actually do all the digital stuff just fine in old analog, it's probably no harder to copy your existing neurons onto a new biological neuron as compared to a hard drive. So you might have some big organic megabrain everybody exists as part of, and which had the added ability to notice a neuron was failing and copy and reroute. We'll call this world Neo-Brahma and assume it's a massive hydroshell planet of giant floating seas of brain matter. You don't have to go all silicon or steel to have the timer removed. It also doesn't apply to a higher simulating universe which might not be using computers for it. A layer of simulation might be somebody's dream, just a very impressive one, and their brain might run on materials that can't exist in this universe. If the notion of a computer-like scenario is bothersome, rest assured there's nothing requiring it be done that way, and folks might be using binary switches made out of black holes or entire universes that function like a big synapse. As often gets noted, maps of our Universe often disturbingly resemble neurons and brain connections at the galactic supercluster scale, and while I doubt that means anything here, it is perfectly plausible to imagine that that's the basic path for how brains or dream worlds are created in alternate realities. There is also nothing really in the way of more arcane options for thought creation, like using twisted up bits of space time. It's just easier to frame all this structurally in the context of either computer chips or neurons as familiar formats. We do not know if it is possible to create sub universes from this one, not including computer simulations or travel to or otherwise tap other parallel universes, or higher ones. We don't even know if they exist, though if they can be shown to exist, that tends to imply interaction with them is also possible. If a photon can come through from an alternate reality for you to see that copy of Earth, then presumably you can send another photon back, or several, or a person. If not, if it is one way, then you can run a solar panel on that photon and its siblings, And now you have a power plant from another reality. You can achieve an eternal existence, of some sort, possibly, by simply moving yourself or your civilization to some brand new and empty universe, then another and another. In any event, if we can access such places then their rules might differ, and allow options ours do not. For instance, a lot of your storage and access problems in a brain or library are from being 3D, You only have so many places to store data nearby and the more you store the bigger your library needs to be, and the bigger the corridors for travel by those going ever further out to retrieve that data, and the longer those journeys as the library or brain expands. In 2D this is even worse, but in 4D much easier, and 5D and so on. No entropy, different limits on infinity, maybe even different math or core physics, all might be options that improve what you can do or how much of it, and so you are likely to be moving yourselves to those spots, and it also tends to imply a limit on what you can move back, since if you've shifted your architecture to 4D or 5D, then coming back into 3D is not likely to be easy or desirable. Which is a convenient handwave for why those ascending to higher planes of existence don't stay in contact with us. Though I mostly think of that happening in science fiction as a result of lazy writing. For that matter, an absence from other people's existence in this mortal realm is not a requirement of an afterlife. Clearly, the existence of Ouija boards and ghost haunting places implies the idea is compatible with a classic afterlife, and so a virtual world that was serving as an afterlife might have their equivalents. Probably a lot less clunky, you just pick up the Ouija phone and dial Grand Uncle Ted, Who by answering sinks back up with whatever time flow rate you have compared to his subjective crawl or race. Your big issue there is if it is an afterlife at all, as otherwise you could become quite the necropolis where the undead still run everything. This is somewhat backward from the more common notion that most of the population in the future will retreat into virtual paradises and the handful of folks left will have to take care of them, or take care of the robots doing so. As to what qualifies as heaven or hell, that's obviously very subjective, and part of why we phrase these as an afterlife is the notion of if your paradise is that nice, you're not coming back to this existence much, or at all. Of course, in the case of some private hell you've been sentenced to or dumped in by some sadist who kidnapped you or a copy of your brain, that probably isn't intended to allow an escape back to the real world either, so afterlife isn't automatically the same as a true paradise or torment-filled underworld but they're pretty linked. And also, that we are not currently in either. Or if we are, it's like the discount knockoff resort equivalent or a minimum security wing, not the utter utopia or nightmare escape that comes to mind when we think of angels strumming harps or demons scurrying around with pitchforks. Which is one last reason I'd feel the afterlife term isn't wrong to apply to paradises we might build. It's something you wouldn't expect folks to want to return from. Except to make it easier for other folks to join them. Like your civilization leaves behind a beacon transmitting to let other civilizations know how to do it once they arise in a distant future. Of course, the other grim alternative is that such civilizations lose all sense of purpose, or delusion of purpose perhaps, and just grind down eventually, and don't feel it's worth the effort to leave a beacon behind just to rain on some new civilization's last few sunny days before the eternal gloom and doom arrives. We contemplated that more in our episode Reality and Purpose, as well as the more dark side of that in our episode Gods and Monsters. Such a civilization might still go on, though, with some of its members opting to enter those artificial afterlives, but with their brains drained of remembering that in-sequence for their civilization. Which of course could mean that you or I are such a person ourselves already in an afterlife. But I think not, as much as I enjoy my life, I'm pretty sure I would've come up with something even better, or at least that I thought was better. As to what True Heaven would be like, or its artificial facsimile, leaving beside classic examples, juvenile ones or humorous ones, I honestly don't know, I'd be curious what folks thought the typical artificial afterlife would be, a shared one with other people, a personal one with fake people, mundane or over the top. All I know at the moment, and given that this is a family-friendly show, is that I hope it has a lot of coffee and that every snack is zero calories, so that there's always time enough and room enough for a drink and a snack. So today's topic was one of our more philosophical episodes, and seemed a good time for a further discussion of concepts like free will and consciousness and what science is telling us about the mind. So I thought we would do a bonus episode over on Nebula looking at Orc or Roger Penrose's theory of our minds being quantum and unpredictable. He argues that quantum mechanics and orchestrated objective reduction, or imply our minds are not deterministic and that we have free will under known science. This is not the first time we've looked at one of Dr. Penrose's grander theories on Nebula either, such as our episode on detecting prior universes and conformal cyclic cosmology. Those are definitely the sorts of episodes Nebula is great for, where I would not expect YouTube's algorithm to be kind to them, and are just some of the bonus content over on our streaming service, including extended editions of mini-episodes, as well as bonus and exclusive content like Orc OR, Conformal Cyclic Cosmology, Planets vs Megastructures, Space Freighters, Colonizing Binary Stars, and many more. Plus, every episode comes out on Nebula, early and ad-free. Nebula is a streaming service started by creators for creators and their audiences and has grown to be the largest creator-owned streaming service, with tons of great content from an ever-growing community of creators. Using my link and discount, it's available now for just over $2.50 a month, less than the price of the drink or snack you might have been enjoying during the episode. And it goes to supporting new content from myself and other creators, like our new feature, Nebula Classes, so it's two for the price of one. When you sign up at my link, go.nebula.tv slash IsaacArthur, and use my code, IsaacArthur, you not only get access to all the great stuff Nebula offers, plus now classes, you'll also be directly supporting this show. Again, to see SFIA early, ad-free, and with all the exclusive content, go to go.nebula.tv slash Isaac So next week we will have our 400th regular episode of SFIA as we contemplate what life might be like in the year 2323 AD. Then we have our monthly livestream Q&A on Sunday, June 25th. Then we'll finish up June on Thursday the 29th by asking what Earth might be like if humanity disappeared. July 6th we'll discuss how and why we should mine or refine materials on the Moon. Then on the 13th, we'll move on to the idea of moving cities, from those floating through the clouds to those trundling along the ground on massive tracks or even legs. If you'd like to get alerts when those and other episodes come out, make sure to hit the like, subscribe, and notification buttons, you can also help support the show on Patreon, and if you want to donate and help in other ways, you can see those options by visiting our website, IsaacArthur.net. You can also catch all of SFIA's episodes early and ad-free on our streaming service, Nebula, along with hours of bonus content, at go.nebula.tv slash IsaacArthur. As always, thanks for watching, and have a great week.